Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is neither investment, legal, nor tax advice and does not represent the opinions of the employers of the host or guest. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. Private aviation is on the minds of all successful people. The time savings, security, convenience, and prestige appeal to everyone. However, private aviation can be complicated, and it's definitely expensive. To help us survey the issues around flying private, I spoke with David Clark. David has developed expertise from over 30 years in the private aviation industry through several key roles working with international corporations and family offices. He's the principal of the Integris Aviation Consultancy. Fluent in Portuguese and English, he divides his time between North and South America working with family offices and flight departments. Welcome aboard, David. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Fraser, good to be on with you. So how does one get into private aviation? The idea of private jets and zipping around the world is really appealing to me, but not easy to jump into. How did you get into this as a career? Well, I'd always been interested in flying for a living, and that's what I went to school for. So when I originally went to college, I went to the you know, the best aviation university in, in the world in Daytona Beach, Florida, Amber Riddle Aeronautical University. And you know, I've done some flying in my in my career, but the last 15 years I've focused more on the transaction side of the industry. Kind of fell into it and just decided that that's kind of where I wanted to be. I wanted to be more on the transactional side, really working with, with families and individuals rather than on the operational side, just driving airplanes around. So that's, that's kind of how I ended up on this side of the industry. Oh, really cool. And gives you unique insight into how things actually work and you know, how to get the planes up and down safely and move them around and all the different logistics that go into managing a fleet. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I have managed a fleet in the past. You know, back in the early 2000s, I, I ran a fleet of aircraft, jets and turboprops up in the Minnesota area for for several companies that would be recognizable names in our corporate world here in the United States. But like I said, in the last, really in the last 10 years, I've focused on the transactional side, the consultative side, and really working with family offices, ultra high net worth individuals and corporations to figure out, you know, just how to do this. What's the best way to access private aviation for their different situation? And I'm sure we'll talk about what those different ways are. But I've developed a methodology that's based upon best practices to really help folks figure this out and do it in the most effective way possible. So one of the things that happens in the private aviation discussions that I've had is the expense and the complication around managing air travel and schedules goes up. I wouldn't say, well, maybe it is asymptotically, depending on where you are. And I've told people, you know, you have to really hate first class to sort of go into the net jets world. And then from net jets beyond that, that's a different layer of complication. In the family office world, what are the main reasons that they start to look at private aviation? Well, the main reason is the value of, of people's time. I mean, that is the fundamental underpinning of all of this is that families reach a tipping point where their time is more valuable than than the money. I mean, they've got plenty of money, but their time begins to be more valuable 
And especially when you're talking about, you know, rarely is there a family office that just has one family unit that's being served. Usually at this point, you know, you're two or three generations into the family. So you've got, you know, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 family units that are being served by that, by that single family office. For the multifamily office, you can multiply that out, you know, dozens of times. And so, you know, you've got multiple people whose time is, is worthwhile. They're sharing amenities, whether it's vacation homes, marine assets, maybe they're on the speaking circuit, they're still running businesses. They have to have mobility. And it's just not feasible any longer for for the commercial airlines to provide that. The commercial airlines are, I think everybody's watched the news in the last few months. The, the commercial airlines are in a world of hurt right now with multiple challenges on multiple fronts, whether it be staffing or route structure changes or any any number of things that they're facing. So, you know, if you're a high net worth family and you've got multiple family units that you're serving, at some point you have to address the mobility aspect and that's where private aviation comes in. There's just nothing else like it. What are the options that exist for private aviation? I sort of alluded to it. You can get net jets, type of shared service all the way up to owning the jet. How does that work when you break that down for a family? Well, what I'll do is I'll just break it down into kind of four categories just to kind of think of it this way. The first category is just on-demand charter. And that's where you just, you know, a family's just using it very occasionally, maybe one trip a month, maybe one trip every month and a half. You know, so we're talking eight to 12 trips a year. That's a very light usage that's 25 to 50 hours a year of flying and so that's just uh, on-demand charter that's just where you're just you pay as you go and you're not part of any sort of a program there's no you know there's no special benefits or anything it's just you know you book an aircraft you prepay it and then you get on it you go and you come back and you're done so that's the easiest way to access private aviation is just a charter it's just a charter question is, you know, who do you charter from? There's over 2,000 charter operators in in the United States, and there's a set of criteria that you need to have in order to make sure that that operator is vetted from a safety standpoint, that they're stable financially, that the insurance minimums are compatible with the needs of the family and the risk managers. So even at the charter level, there's certain considerations that need to be made, but that is the easiest, quickest way to access private aviation is, is just on-demand charter. Then the next step up is what you may have heard is of jet cards. And that's where you alluded to NetJets. You've also got FlexJet, VistaJet. These are companies that part of their offering is what's called a jet card. It's still charter, but now you're buying a package of hours. And you might say, well, why would somebody want to buy a package of hours when they could just pay as they go? when you buy a package of hours and you pay up front, then you become part of a program and you get you get certain benefits for that. You might have access to holiday flying, holiday dates that you might not have if you're just an off-the-street customer. You might have access to different concierge services that you might have might not have if you're if you're just chartering by the hour. So you begin to get some benefits as far as being part of a program like Wheels Up, NetJets, the Marquee Jet Card those types of things. And so that's your jet card packaged hours option. That's kind of the next step up on the on the ladder. The third step up is fractional ownership. That's what NetJets became known for back in the mid 80s when they began to sell fractional shares, kind of like the timeshare 
hotel model where you you know you bought a share of a of an aircraft and you were entitled to a certain number of hours and a certain number of benefits came with that that share is actually a depreciable asset if you're a corporation so that's it's super popular with companies that maybe want to supplement the existing aircraft that they have with an additional share and so families are very interested in in fractional ownership as well so that's kind of the third option and then the fourth and final option is whole ownership. That's where a family has enough going on where they decided we need our own aircraft. So we're going to either own it or lease it, but we're going to control that asset 100% of the time. It's going to be ours to use. And then we can you know, use it amongst ourselves or we can use it ourselves and charter it out part of the time or we can do other things with it, but it's ours to control. So on-demand charter, jet card, fractional, and then whole ownership. Those are kind of the four on-ramps into private aviation or any combination thereof. What are the steps, the financial steps up as you move up the ladder? How does that work? Well, the first step, the on-demand charter, that's just, you know, it's just pay by the hour. And so you're you're talking whatever the hourly rate is of the aircraft. Let's say if it's, you know, four or $5,000 an hour and it's a four-hour trip, it's going to be about $20,000 plus your taxes and other fees so it's pretty easy to calculate what it's going to end up being, you know, because you're you're paying by the hour. Then as far as the the jet card, those are packaged in either 25, 50 or 100 hour increments. So let's say you want to purchase 100 hours and, you know, you want to spend the money this year. If you're a corporation, let's say, you know, you want to be able to write that off as an expense. And so you want to buy in today's rates at this year's rates and you want to spend the money this year because you need to spend that money, that's the reason you want to be able to buy that package of hours and get that, you know, get that credit that you can start, you know, using as the need arises. And again, that's just a multiplication, multiplying out how many hours and what category of aircraft by the size of the package. So whether it's 25, 50, or 100 hours, that's going to be, uh, it's just going to be however much that package costs based upon the hourly value of that aircraft. The fractional share is essentially the retail price of the aircraft divided by whatever the share is. So if it's a quarter share, it's 25% of a new aircraft. If it's a eighth of a share, it's going to be 12.5% of the price of a new aircraft. And then, of course, the whole ownership option, that's where you're going to either choose to buy new or you're going to choose to buy a pre-owned aircraft. And there's been such a run on private aircraft in the last couple of years during COVID, that there are some used aircraft that are approaching the price of a new one. It's It's been absolutely crazy. So it's not just cars and boats and homes, it's affected aircraft as well. So you get into the concept of best practices and sort of having your ducks in a row and understanding what your needs are and then understanding what it takes to own and operate a plane. What do you mean beyond that? How do you sort of advise families around being smart about what options they choose and then how to manage them? Well, I coined it as a best practices approach because private aviation has been around for about 60 years now. Private aviation started back in the 50s and 60s when, when military aircraft were beginning to be sold as surplus and corporations started to buy those aircraft and then just re-outfit them and then begin using them for their business. And so over these past 60 years or so, we've just learned a lot of different lessons, not only from a safety standpoint, but also from an operational standpoint and a financial standpoint. 
and uh, risk management standpoint. So there's all these different areas that touch private aviation that a best practices approach really, to me, is, is the best way to go because you're basically learning from other people's mistakes. And so when we see problems with safety, for example, we see aircraft continuing to have the same kinds of accidents and incidents as they've had all these different years. There's really nothing new that's happening. There's really no new types of issues that are occurring. It's just that people are continuing to try to violate the laws of physics unwittingly or unknowingly, but the, the effect is still the same. And when you see that on the transaction side, people trying to, you know, buck the trend or go against the flow when it comes to best practices from buying or selling aircraft or leasing aircraft, or maybe from mitigating risk or maybe financial controls, all these different areas have best practices that have been developed. And if you if all if all a family does or a corporation does is just follow those best practices you know, 98% of their problems go away. I mean, their, their risk gets mitigated. They know they're doing the best job they can at administering the, the asset in the best way possible. And that's what I advise. That's what I advise my clients is helping them to understand just what those best practices are and how to plug whatever holes they have in their operation and then employing those and bringing those to bear. That's it's just really a, a way to avoid the mistakes of the past, learn from the mistakes of others, and then, you know, set yourself up for success, no matter what aspect you're talking about in the in the private aviation experience. So you talked a little bit about the how hot the market is and that the demand for used jets is now driving prices up to the price of a new jet. What is the state of the aviation market? We're a little bit into a market correction. I'm sure people who might have been gung-ho have seen their portfolios go down and now all of a sudden they may be rethinking it. But is there any, I guess at the levels we're talking about, is there any impact and and what are the things should we be looking at in that world? Well, two years ago when COVID started, you know, aviation came to a halt in pretty much all areas, partly because a lot of countries just locked down and they wouldn't let anybody travel. So it wasn't that there was anything dangerous inherently with aviation. It was just that they couldn't go anywhere. And so when COVID first started, aircraft were parked all over the world. Pilots were laid off. Crews were laid off. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. And then as things started opening up again and families started living out of their vacation homes and, you know, the dust started to clear a little bit, then all of a sudden this this boom occurred. And all of a sudden the demand was so high for private aircraft, partly because commercial airlines were still grounded and they you know, couldn't really fly. They were flying around empty. People were, you know, flying around with masks on and, you know, no food was being served. It was just a horrible travel experience during uh, 2020 and 2021 on the commercial airlines. And that just drove thousands of these high net worth people that may not have flown private in the past. It got them to try it out to see, hey, what is there to this? Maybe it's a way to get around for now, temporarily, when things recover, we'll go back to the airlines the thing about private aviation is it's, it's addictive and it's such an upgrade in the travel experience. It's almost impossible to go back other than maybe on a select basis. So if you have one person that needs to go to Europe, then you might put that person on first class and, and that person will do fine and they'll get there eight hours later and they'll be somewhat rested. But when you're having any, any more than two or three people traveling together, 
it just becomes easier to justify either chartering or having a fractional ownership share or owning an aircraft in order to fly those people around. So that was the dynamic that really set this whole thing up was COVID. And it's really turned out in a way that that we did not expect. I mean, this this market has been hotter than it's ever been maybe in the last 15 years, 2006, 2007. It was pretty hot and things led up to the 2008 crash. Aircraft were at a very high demand at that time as well. But during COVID and even up until now, we've had sustained demand that has just put real pressure on supply. So where supply has typically hovered around 10% of the fleet being for sale at any given time, during these last couple of years, it's gotten down to 2 to 3%, which is a huge drop in available aircraft for sale. So obviously, when the supply goes down, price goes up, and that's where you get some models approaching the cost of a new one. So then a buyer has to make the choice. Do I, you know, do I pay close to the price of a new one for a used aircraft but get it now, or am I willing to wait a couple of years for a new one and you know pay the same roughly the same amount of money but at least when i get the aircraft it'll have you know zero hours on it so those are just decisions that everybody has to make but a lot of people have been saying no i want it now and and i want to start using it you know on day one and that's what they do one of the important components of private aviation are the pilots and i've heard a lot about a real difficult shortage in pilots. The military is not training as many as they used to. The flow of potential private flyers is slowing down from the commercial airlines. What's the state of that and how do families deal with that? It's a obviously a small component dollar-wise versus the purchase price of a plane, but a pretty important one nonetheless. Sure. Well, pilots are they're on the front lines. They have contact, constant contact with the family. And so there really has to be a really good fit when it comes to pilots and the family and understanding the family's needs, the family's temperament, the family's schedule. And so private aviation flying is very different than corporate flying. And corporate flying is very different from the airline flying. And so these things are not interchangeable. You know, you really have to find crews that are really aligned with with the family that they're serving. And so there's just some vetting that needs to be taking place ahead of time, you know, during the hiring process to make sure pilots know what they're getting into. And then the pilots need to be, you know, compensated in a way that's going to, you know, keep them from looking elsewhere because there's a lot of temptation out there to go to a, a major airline with, you know, multi-million dollar retirement packages and guaranteed days off and all sorts of other benefits. And so it's pretty tempting for pilots these days to, to go to the airlines and the airlines are taking advantage of that. The airlines are short because they laid off a lot of people during COVID just to be able to survive. And then a lot of those guys that got early retirement or were let go, laid off, they just didn't come back. And so that just left a huge hole in the airline staffing. So where's the airline gonna go to get people? Well, they're gonna go to corporate, they're gonna go to family offices, they're gonna go to they're gonna go anywhere they can. Regional airlines are gonna go to anywhere they can to to get pilots to staff, you know, their big planes. And that's what they're doing. But there's some uh, best practices, speaking of best practices, there's some best practices when it comes to staffing aircraft for family offices. And one of those best practices is to really put a lot of emphasis on the vetting process. Another best practice is to really understand 
what the compensation environment is like and just accept that. You know, there's nothing we can do about it. And so it doesn't do much good to, you know, be thinking the way it was three, four or five years ago. What matters is what what does it look like today? What does a compensation package look like today for a family office private aviation operation that's going to compensate the pilots fairly and keep them, you know, keep them engaged and interested in doing what they're doing for the family. So, you know, that's another that's another discipline that there's some really good resources in our industry as far as, you know, people that deal with this kind of issue with compensation, with vetting, with sourcing of pilots. And, you know, I think that those are resources that family offices need to be introduced to. They need to avail themselves of the expertise that exists in this area and it'll save them a tremendous amount of headache, you know, because if you have you, if you're a family office and you operate one aircraft and let's say you have four pilots and one of them or even two of them leaves within a short period of time, that's 50 percent of your workforce. I know of a family office right now that lost three pilots within just a matter of months. And now they're down to just one pilot. So that's a real problem. But there's ways to mitigate that. And the smart operators are the ones that are dealing with it realistically and just rolling up their sleeves and doing what needs to be done. And they're surviving this period of time right now. Is there a rule of thumb, like a percentage of the purchase price per year to maintain a plane and to staff it correctly? How do we get our arms around the numbers of of owning, let's say, a pretty significant jet and what it costs to maintain that? Boy, that's tough to answer because it all depends on the number of hours, the price of the aircraft. I mean, you could have an aircraft where, you know, if you're flying it a lot, you could be spending 30% of the acquisition cost on annual operational costs, which includes fuel, salaries, hangar storage, maintenance, other subscriptions. I mean, there's just a lot of different things that, that go into operating an aircraft. So, you know, it could be anywhere from 5% to 30% of the cost of the aircraft in order to, to operate it. It just depends on a lot of different things. But it would just be something that, that the family would need to, to go in ahead of time knowing. And you wouldn't be, you'd be very surprised at how many people get so excited about buying the aircraft. They focus so much on the acquisition cost of the aircraft. They don't really pay attention to the to the number that it's going to take to actually run the aircraft on a yearly basis. Uh, that, that happens to boats too. <laughs> <laughs> and aircraft are such that, you know, every so often they have big inspections that need to take place. And if, unless you squirrel away money for that, or you have some sort of a engine or, or airframe program that will cover that expense, those can be big, big surprises if you're not prepared for that. So, you know, the smart people are, are the ones that, again, I hate to use the, the term again, but that use the best practices in the accounting side. And if they don't have an engine program or an airframe program or an APU program or an avionics program that'll pay for those things that you're paying for on an hourly basis, you don't have that insurance policy, then you need to have some sort of an internal mechanism to to take out a certain amount of money each hour that you fly and put it away into a separate account. So when that event comes up, you're not having to scramble for hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars to to cover that expense. So uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle made it to New York and a lot of jibber jabber around the ESG 
concerns about people flying private and what it does to the environment. Does that come up in your practice at all? Do people get concerned about the environmental impact? Are there steps taken to deal with that? Or are we dealing in such, let's call it rarefied air that clients don't really worry about that too much? Well, let me just answer it this way. If you take all the aviation in the entire world, commercial, cargo, private, all aviation in the entire world on an annual basis only contributes 2% of annual emissions. If you take private aviation, it's one one hundred to that. So we're talking 0.02% of emissions are put out by private aviation aircraft. And so, you know, a lot of people look at that and say, you know what, what I'm doing to the environment is, is statistically insignificant. It's not even a rounding error. It's nothing. And yet, because of the profile of a lot of families and corporations, they have a target on their back. And plus, you know, there's a lot of families that are environmentally conscious and they want to at least do their part. Even if it's statistically insignificant, they still want to try. And so there are resources, to answer your question, there absolutely are resources for families that that want to at least be able to be able to tell themselves and others that that they're doing their part to mitigate the, the risks of emissions. And one of the biggest ways is to be able to use what's called sustainable aviation fuel. And that's essentially recycled cooking oil and made into jet fuel that will then dramatically cut down on the impact on the environment. There's also several companies that are now selling carbon credits, which basically counteract an aircraft's emissions on an hourly basis. And these are very inexpensive ways for a family to mitigate their their effect on the environment. So there's there's a few companies that have that have popped up that help families do just this. And they help them come up with a sustainability plan and they help them to design this and to implement it. And that can help in anything from internal family politics when it comes to talking about using the aircraft. It helps the younger generation to feel better about mitigating the environmental impact. It also could help with you know mitigating risk in the media. If the media decided to do a story about a company or a family and the way that they're going around polluting the environment using a jet, they can say, hold on now, you know, we've done our homework and here's our sustainability plan and this is how we mitigate our operation. And let's be fair here, we're doing our part. So there is a way to do that. And that's something that our industry is embracing. We're embracing ways to mitigate environmental effects on uh, from aircraft. And even though it, it is statistically insignificant, it is being taken seriously. And it is certainly available for any family that wants to take those steps to come up with some sort of a plan and implement that. So in closing, what's the best advice you can give a family office or a family that's had this big liquidity event and they're interested in private aviation but don't know where to start? My best advice is to is to surround themselves with a handful of the very best um, advisors in this area out there. And that would include an aviation consultant. That would include an aviation attorney who completely understands all the different legal aspects when it comes to aviation and all the different federal and state laws and and whether it be IRS, FAA, EPA, all the different governing bodies that touch on an aircraft operation. 
from a tax standpoint as well, technical experts. I would build a team of four, four to five people led by an aviation consultant to be able to really figure out what the family needs and what the best solution is going to be for them. And it may not be one of those four buckets that I mentioned earlier. It might be a hybrid model. It might be a combination of things. In fact, most people who are involved in private aviation and accessing private aviation right now use some sort of a hybrid model. So they might have one aircraft for their family, but they supplement it with a package of hours. They might have a couple of shares and then they have a time sharing agreement with, you know, with another company or they have some sort of a, a mix and match type of an approach, a hybrid approach. And that can get tricky from a legal and a, and a risk standpoint, but all that risk can be mitigated if you have the right professionals on board. So just get the right professionals on your team, get somebody who really knows this business, get the best advice possible, and then have at it. Figure out what's best for your situation, for your family, and then start enjoying it because it's a tremendous lifestyle multiplier. And and once you start doing that, it's going to be very difficult to go back to commercial airline flying. That's like the billionaire's crack. They are not giving that up. David, how do we stay in touch with you? How do people find you? It's real easy to get a hold of me. My website is integrisaviation.com. My phone number is 952-261-5945. And my email is david at integris, I-N-T-E-G-R-I-S, integrisaviation.com. David at integrisaviation.com. David, super stuff. Thank you for the insight. And I hope to make something of myself someday so that I become a client. (laughs) It's more accessible than you think. Companies like Wheels Up and others are democratizing private aviation, believe it or not. And it's becoming, you can actually buy a Wheels Up membership at Costco. That's how that's how accessible it is. So before you know it, you could be in the back of a private aircraft. Excellent. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Fraser Rice is an employee of Next Capital Management, LLC. This podcast is not investment, legal, or tax advice, nor does it reflect the opinions of Next Capital Management. Any opinions represented in the show are Fraser's individually and not an endorsement of the guests.